Welcome to a new episode of Carolyn Talks. I'm your host, Carolyn Heinz, and this is the podcast slash YouTube channel where I speak to film creatives about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today I'm joined by filmmaker and documentarian Diane Borchelin to talk about her new documentary, Crossings, which details and goes in, I think, does a fantastic job of talking about the politics of activism, especially as female activists, um, with regards to a group of international um, women who went to South Korea in 2015 to cross the the DMZ, or known as the Demilitarized Zone, from Pyongyang in North Korea to cross um, to South Korea, which I think is watching this documentary. Like you women were extremely brave to do this. It was a massive undertaking, and to a lot of people, they might think it's just oh, just that you know, crossing a border. It's not that. There's so much politics and history and danger behind this endeavor. And it was an endeavor. It's not simply just a moment of activism. It's a huge undertaking. And so we'll get into that in um, in our discussion. But first, as usual, I'd like to ask my guests to say a bit about themselves and what got them into filmmaking. So Deanne, thank you so much for joining me today, Crossings. Well, thanks for having me. This is wonderful to be here with you. Um, I um, began uh, as a documentary filmmaker many years ago, um, first in um, kind of funding and distribution and development, and then moved more into producing and and then directing. And I started work with an organization called, um, it's now called Center for Asian American Media. It's based in San Francisco. And at the time it was called the National Asian American Telecommunications Association. And um, part of my desire to work in the film world was because um, I um, grew up um, uh, actually as an adopted child of a, of a white family and mm-hmm. grew up in California. I was adopted in 1966. And um, when when I came to the United States as the daughter of this family, the Borche family, um, I was told that I was um, a, a Korean War orphan, that my father had died during the Korean War and that my mother had um, died giving birth to me and that I had no family in Korea. And that's why I was adopted. Um, years later, I discovered that none of that was true. Um, and, and in fact, I did have a, um, my father did die, but my mother was alive um, in Korea and I had brothers and sisters and a very large extended Korean um, family. And um, over the course of um, this kind of, I, that kind of launched me into an identity crisis um, because I, I thought I was, I belonged to this, you know, white family. In fact, I grew up thinking I was white. Mm-hmm. Um, I was shocked to learn that I was actually Korean and um, I had no idea what it meant to be Korean or Asian. Um, and I, um, part of the reason that I got into to making my first film was um, trying to unravel all of the lies that, t- that took place that was related to my adoption. Um, and um, con- all of the um, false documents, the adoption documents, um, this false narrative that my parents actually had um, come to believe um, and had repeated to me as I was growing up. So um, I made um, a first film called First Person Plural, um, which is about my own um, adoption by this family and my eventual reunion with my Korean birth family. And um, years later, I made another film, a follow-up film called In the Matter of Cha Jung Hee, that explores um, the identity of this girl that I was switched with um, when I was adopted. And um, 
and it also explores the lives of contemporary women in South Korea whose name um uh who, who all women in South Korea whose names are Cha Jung Hee. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so um making these films um and learning about my history was really enlightening and I and I realized that my adoption had really happened in the context of war and national division and I wanted to understand that um more deeply and how um the Korean war in fact um shaped me and shaped our family and Korean society but also shaped American society and um all of the countries including Canada um that participated in the Korean war and so um that's what um eventually led to making an uh, additional um uh, films and oral history projects related to the Korean war including um a film called memory forgotten war which was um a short film about the Korean war and and then now crossings mm mm-hmm. um, you have such a i think an amazing back story because the beginning to um growing up adopted within a white family i'm believing that you were white but then to find out wait i'm actually asian i'm korean and then what everything that ties into being korean american and having a korean ancestry and um, the thing with the war especially the korean war what uh, like there was this huge um i guess you could call it almost like a baby market that that was created during and after the war where many many korean babies were taken from their mothers and from their families and essentially given away or sold in some circumstances because a lot of the organizations that were doing these um adoptions weren't legal organizations they were basically like you know just like more um, like doing like um marketing for these babies were sent to north america a lot of them were sent to canada a lot of them sent to america and to other and to and like to other european countries and is the 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 effects of war affects um like this is and it's mentioned in the film where some of the biggest casualties of war are women and children you know and 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 there and like for a lot of and like women and children are a lot of the times the main collateral damage because the war is fought between men you know it's like the political leaders the military generals the soldiers and women are said okay you have to be a supporter but it's like we didn't sign up for this war this war was created by a few men in a in a few rooms and everyone else has to basically be swept along in the tide of this war and that's what happened with the um with the Korean war and um and this and the separation of Korea into north and south where like and and you speak about and when you think about the part that um, the american um government i think as well as the society played in that because like so many as we you're you're saying like so many babies were adopted by white families and like all of these hundreds of thousands of kids and no one would have gotten together and said but wait where are all these children coming from you know like you had all these hundreds of thousands of families these adults these white people who are taking these children and no one got together question and said there's something wrong that we're having an influx of all of these babies mm-hmm. you know they just happily took them in and 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 for i think a lot of it has to do with like this is just me a lot of it has to do with white saviorism <laughs> where you know and it happens not and it happens not only with the with the with the sakri war but it happens with war across the right. the globe you right. know like they like they say we want to adopt all these children because we're saving them and then it's like how about you try to work 
as to stop the American government from being imperialists and invading people's countries and, you know, and perpetuating war. Um, that's a whole other discussion, but it kind of like, <laughs> it, it kind of like ties in because like the film starts, so you, I think you brilliantly start out the film with Donald J. Trump, the former president of the United States, talking about declaring war in North Korea, because there was a time before the, like, there we, we have to, we kind of separate time now before the pandemic and after the pandemic. But while he was in office, like, there was this moment of extreme tension. Um, and I remember it distinctly. Um, there was this, I think it was a Saturday. And there was this missile that was launched from North Korea. And like there was literally this whole, it was this time we were like, is this it? Is this really, are we really going to enter in to World War Three? Because these two men are acting like children. And we like, these men have the the buttons to start nuclear war. And it was, I remember distinctly, it was a Saturday. Every, every, and it was like, Twitter was like exploding because people are like, what is happening? And the film kind of starts at that same period because Donald Trump was like, He's like trying to assert his dominance and say, we will take North Korea and we will start a war. And like, you're declaring war and you're not considering anyone else around you. Like war, like you, he thinks he's going to be safe in his bunker and while the rest, everyone else gets obliterated. So tell, talk about starting the film from there instead of like from any other point. Okay. <laughs> you said so many things. Um, well, first, just to reflect a moment about what you were saying about the adoptions um, and war affecting women and children, which is so true. Um, I mean, Korean transnational adoptions did start um, during and Im immediately after the Korean war. And the first, um, I mean, there were, there were children who were military mascots um, who um, were adopted initially by American troops and, um, but really the, the group of children that were targeted for initial adoptions were mixed race children who were, whose mothers were Korean and whose fathers were um, either American or um, part of the UN um, troops presence in Korea. And it was those children that were um, initially the groups that were, um, that Sigmund Rhee, who was the president at the time, um, really wanted to sort of remove from from Korea and get adopted by um, uh, overseas by um, uh, overseas families and um, and I think that that the beginning of those those transnational adoptions really also happened in the context of the national division that was already taking place. You know, Korea was divided in 1945. Um, and then when the two states, um, the DPRK, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea in the north and the Republic of Korea in the south, when those two states were solidified in 1948, um, you know, it resulted in the, the, the separation of millions of family members. And that separation and division um, continues to, to this day because of the ongoing war and because of the existence of, you know, both the physical demilitarized zone um, that is the physical border that prevents, uh, you know, the families from seeing each other as well as all the ideological and, you know, other barriers. Mm. So, um, so I think, um, you, you know, you sort of asked about the motivation for making crossings. I think that this idea of national division and being divided from our family members and, and um, the overall concept of, you know, these, um, the national division affecting millions of family members was something that really, um, um, really was an important theme for me 
Um, and Christine Ahn, who's the main protagonist in the film, you know, she's a Korean American activist who came up with the idea of bringing a group of international women to North Korea and crossing the DMZ into South Korea. Um, I had known Christine here in the San Francisco Bay Area for a number of years, and we had worked on various, you know, anti-war um, things together. And um, when she asked me about um, whether I'd be interested in going to North Korea and crossing the DMZ to promote a formal end to the Korean War and the eventual reunification of families, you know, that was a theme that really resonated with me. And that's one of the reasons why I signed on to the project. Um, so in, in, in terms of the film, starting out with Donald Trump, you're absolutely right. In 2017, it was terrifying. You know, um, we really thought that a war, you know, that the U.S. might actually, there might be a preemptive strike against North Korea and, and that North Korea would respond. And, you know, estimates were, were that hundreds of thousands of people would, you know, die, you know, within days or weeks. And, um the the rhetoric that was going back and forth was just um a terrifying um thing and when you have family there you know whether on south or north side it's it it, it hits even you know hits home even more about what um that might what that might do and mm -hmm. so um you know the film opens with Donald Trump and Lindsey Graham and you know they're in this sort of fire and fury mode um and then it sort of goes backwards in time with um, the women and um, there's, you know, the decision to go to um, North Korea and basically, you know, this group of women that um, decides to kind of learn for, for themselves um, and go to both North and South to listen to the stories of women in both the North and South about how the war impacted them at the time, you know, to actually listen um, to survivors and, but also how, you know, they're dealing with the legacies of this unended war and the status of, um, you know, this ongoing armistice that um, that suspended the fighting, but didn't never really fully ended the war formally. Um, and, you know, what what the repercussions of that that are. So, yeah, that's how the film um, kind of got started. Right. And the, the thing with um, making a documentary is that you're follow you have you're following from the very beginning, especially for like this film. You are filming from the very beginning where Christine starts to call people and ask them to like if they're willing to take part and join her in this endeavor. And when you're doing this, when you're doing a documentary, you, you don't know how it's gonna end. You don't know where the path leads, you know, like there is no script you're following, there's no, there's no plan, no, 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 um, no, no production that's that's designed or whatever you're just like following the movement and you're following the 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 path that's just being drawn as you each go along day by day because you don't know what the next day is going to plant was what the next day is going to um going to bring so when you're filming this as a documentarian you have to you're thinking with the eye of a filmmaker but then as someone with your background with your own um history and and re and relationship with South Korea as well as America uh how did you go about just like when you began filming just what was like what was it you told yourself this is so this is my objective this is how I'm going to proceed but were there any moments where you were just like it was kind of hard to separate yourself as both a filmmaker and an observer as someone with a personal connection to the story 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, I, that's a great question. Yeah, and it, you know, when when I went into the project, um, you know, we had a very, first of all, we had a very small crew. We had a camera woman, a sound recordist, also a woman and a PA and myself. And um, so it was a very, you know, tight, um, small crew. And, um, you know, my plan when you're making an observational film like this um you you kind of have certain hypotheses of what might happen but as you just said you kind of can't predict everything right and so my goal was to cover as much as possible in terms of um their 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 stated goals mm-hmm. uh, you know the group's stated goals which was they're going to cross the DMZ from north to south and and then on the south side be received by you know th- thousands of south korean women and meet meet um uh, South Korean women. Um, and so I think the big question for me and what I assumed was that the women would cross the DMZ at mm-hmm. some point. Um, but the question was, would they cross? Where would they cross? How would they cross? Um, and so that was kind of the main kind of through line that I was following at the time. I think what became evident to me as we were filming and and also during the edit and at, you know after we had you know done all the interviews with all of the, the women, um, was that there were other factors and that there was really another story that was coming to the fore, which was um, the story of how these women, some of them who are, um, um, you know, very prominent people like Gloria Steinem and the two, mel- two Nobel laureates, Mairead Maguire from Northern Ireland and Lema Bowie from Liberia, uh, along with, you know, uh, women from 12 different countries. Um, you know, how, how would these women, um, uh, work together, mm-hmm. you know, um, how do they make decisions and, um, are they going to, um, stay together? Are they going to, um, have different strategies? You know, how do they work through kind of, um, the sort of existing hierarchies, um, and different ideas of, um, activism, different ideas about feminism, different levels of knowledge, um, about the Korean conflict and the Korean culture, all of these things that, the women were bringing to the table. It's a very diverse group of women. You know, how would they, how are they going to work together and um, do this collective action? So that, that became a key through line. Um, And then I think the other through line was really, you know, how the women were reacting to being in North Korea. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a challenging place to travel to. Um, It's hard to, as Christine Ahn says in the film, it's very difficult to travel there without certain preconditions, I mean, or preconceptions, I should say. Um, You know, I think that um, we in the West tend to view North Koreans as um, robots, uh, you know, as automatons with no free will, and they're all brainwashed, you know, people that just goose step, you know, (laughs) and there isn't much there, right? And so... Um, what kinds of preconceptions were these women bringing and how would, would they be able to, um, how would they struggle with them and how would they um, come to terms with these preconceptions of the North Korean people and struggle with their own feminist values of being in this country? Um, and I think the question came, became for me as the filmmaker is would these, would these women be able to see humanity in the North Korean people. And ultimately, I think that's kind of the the major through line of the film. Um, and um, whether the women could actually see that there were human beings that lived there. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
versus, you know, robots. And um, so I think that that became a major, major question for me and, um, and a, a major through line in the film. Mm. Yeah, um, there's something you mentioned there, and it has to do with how, with the preconceptions and the preconceived notions that women in the West had um, for the North American women. And we're going to get to that. But before we get to that, you're, when you when you started having the discussions with Christine about making this film, and she started to gather the team of women who would come together, and I the, I love how the the group of women she brought together were women from very different backgrounds and very different um political histories in a sense like um Lem Lebeau, she's from Liberia and she experienced war she lived through a war and she protested um with um uh, hundreds of women Liberian women to end the war in Liberia and having someone of her background and her experience who was doing this essentially the same thing that was being achieved for the for for what happened um in 2015 which is like just gathering women together to like protest and show that women have a voice and then there's also like Gloria Steinem who everyone knows as being a journalist and an activist especially from the 70s, 60s and 70s and then you have like women who were um who were in Ireland during the um the the war in Ireland with um England in the um 60s 70s and then there's women who were um, activists, um, legal, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> My mind is drawn a blank. Um, but they're like, um, you know, like advocates um, and legal aid advocates and lawyers and women who are business work, um, who own businesses, both in America and from around the world, including South, um, South Korea. So when you were, when you were watching her gather this team together, uh, what were the thoughts you had about the women that she has selected and the women who agreed to take part and like and the discussions that you guys had with how you were going to structure the film and follow them because like you had to wait till everyone came together because you couldn't be in all the countries you know you couldn't be in all of their living rooms so what were the discussions you you and Christine had about the women um, that would be taking part and how you would go about piecing the film together yeah um yeah the first time I met all of the women was in Beijing and it was before, you know, it was during the orientation process um, before the women went to Pyongyang. And I had done some interviews prior to the Beijing trip, but um, most of it took place starting in Beijing. So it was a very kind of concentrated period of time when we filmed interviews and also all the observational material. Um, you know, I thought it was a really interesting fascinating group of people that came together. And um, I think Christine has a real kind of talent of bringing very diverse people um, and, um, and enabling the group to actually come and discuss very complex issues and, um, and be able to actually take in all of the diverse experiences and ideas that people bring to the table. So it's a difficult thing to do. Um, and I think um, collective actions of this sort are just so <laughs> complicated. Um, so in many ways, I think I really felt like, you know, I was filming is sort of a case study of how mm -hmm. diverse women like this do come together. And, um, you know, it's not a perfect, um, it's not perfect. You know, there's going to be disagreements. Um, they did, you know, they were trying for like um, non-hierarchical, you know, horizontal leadership 
but you know, there is hierarchy, you know, it's like, so how do they overcome those things and how are decisions made so that one person who might be more prominent doesn't necessarily have, you know, hold sway over decisions. All of those things are, I think, um, apparent in the film. Um, and it's not that I, as a filmmaker, have an answer of how these actions should take place. It's just that the film shows what happened um, in some of the key moments of decision making. Um, so I think, you know, I think in the end, I feel like the women were able to um, overcome, you know, kind of and reconcile or not reconcile, but, you know, they were able to um, acknowledge and deal with their differences, um, both in terms of strategies and their backgrounds and um, decide on particular strategies to basically to stay together. Um, I'm sorry if it's gotten very loud. There's a can you hear that? No, I can't hear anything. Okay, good. Um, so they decide to stay together. And, um, you know, there were opportunities where, I mean, there were moments where they could have split apart and, and pursued, you know, as different groups, smaller groups, um, different kinds of strategies. But in the end, they decided to stay together and, um, and um, you know, take action together. So okay. yeah. now I can't hear it, but it's fine. Sorry. <laughs> it suddenly appeared. Yeah, they're cleaning the road outside. That's the, the noise. Uh, it's fine. Um, so you you mentioned um, just about the hierarchy, and I was watching the film, and I and I do you did I think you did a fantastic job, like balancing, like the, I guess you could say, like screen time and the interview time with people to make sure that people had like equal amount of screen time and that we weren't seeing the interviews from like only certain people. But I will say, I think there was something that I, maybe it's because I'm a, I'm a black woman, I'm a woman of color. Um, I did notice that Gloria Steinem, like she did have, a, there, were, there were a lot of scenes where she had to speak up. And for me, I know for a lot of people, it could seem as though, okay, so is this white woman getting a lot of um, attention and she's kind of taking things over from her scene. But I kind of read it as this is like a white woman using her platform and her power and her political savvy and know-how to... I guess you could say advocate for Christina and for all of you that were there because like she does like her name is widely known is internationally known in politics and in media and it's like there's there's a moment close to the end of the film where like the South Korean um, press corps were being you could tell they were kind of like asking questions that weren't fair to Christine and there was a and there is a discussion that took place amongst all the women about kind of like pushing Christine to the back not because she's not to be visible but to protect her from getting any pushback from the Korean media, from any lies that were being told, spread. And like Gloria had to speak up. And I'm like, this makes sense in this in this point because she's a white woman. I'm like, this is where white women should show solidarity. And this is how white women can use their um their voice as an ally, you know? And the film is very much like that. So you have, because you have all of these women from every side, like from different backgrounds and different professions, and they each bring something to the table to help this, to help make this um this event occur. You know, and everyone has their own expertise and their own backgrounds and beliefs, which can, uh, which offers something very specific. But the thing that the film, and as we mentioned again, the, what the film does highlight is no matter where women are from, no matter almost all of our our um, our personal and professional, our emotional, or even religious experiences, we're all women, and all women around the world, unfortunately, face the same. Um, the same societal um, impact, you know, the same misogyny, patriarchy, gender discrimination, 
all of these things, health discrimination, like that's something that's mentioned in the film with regards to the difference between how women are treated medically in North Korea versus um, the Western world. And that's a big, and I think that's some, and that's, I think something that a lot of people, if, when they watch the film, should pay attention to is where we, a lot of people in the West, we think that third world countries, I don't want to use the word third world, that they're better off than us. And a lot of that has to do with the propaganda and how the media and the and the governments spread um, propaganda about countries, especially in North Korea. Like they, as you said, like they, they propagandize North Korea as a place where the people don't have any free will, where everything is about their dear leader, as he's known. And like, you know, their automatons and everything they do has to be for their leader. But it's like, these are people who are just also living their regular day-to-day lives. They still got to go to work. They still got to feed their families. They get up, get dressed go to work, come home, go to their families. Women um, women give birth, you know, they, they go to the hospital, they have to give birth, they have to raise their children the same way. So talk a bit about um, about you as a, you yourself having your own preconceived notions and how you have to make sure that doesn't sway you as a filmmaker. And like, not only with regards to North Korea, but just like all the women um, that, were, that were there and how you have to make sure that everyone, including North Korea, is given... Uh, um, a fair um, a fair chance within the film because as a filmmaker you still have to remain um, impartial you know like your job is to observe what every everything that happens we have to show the good and the bad so how like did you as a filmmaker work with showing the the even like the impartial side of the women that were there as well as North Korea mm-hmm. yeah um, well first re- with regard to Gloria Steinem you know it's interesting the media the Western media um portrayed the 2015 peace walk as Gloria Steinem's peace walk mm. you know or peace march and um so she because of you know she w- has more prominence in terms of her her kind of you know the work that she's done and um and in, and as a journalist herself um you know i think there was a way in which the media highlighted her role um, and, but she, you know, in the interview that I did with her, a couple of interviews that, you know, that we did, um, you know, she was aware of that. And she was aware that, um, that when she spoke that, that there might be more weight to her words because of, um, because she's better known maybe in the media. Um, so I think, um, what, what she expressed is that she tried to be very judicious about when she did speak. And um, to try to give, you know, enough room for everyone to have as many, you know, everyone to have as much um, input as possible on key decisions. Um, and uh, and I think that was evident in in the film. Um, in terms of my own thoughts about, um, you know, I think that, oh gosh, this film has made me think about so many different things. Um, but one of them is this idea that, um, you know, that we in the West, that we tend to, um, well, I'm not sure about Canadians, but I know that for Americans, you know, we tend to see America, you know, ourselves as being ethically superior. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same in Canada, trust me. Is that? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so we see ourselves as ethically superior and um, in the case, you know, and our quote enemies, um, in, in this case, the North Koreans as um, as inferior, you know. So we're ethically superior. We don't commit propaganda. Um, we're, we don't speak in in ideological terms, 
you know, we're like free of ideology. Whereas we tend to see our enemies, and in this case, the North Koreans, as only capable of speaking in ideological terms, mm-hmm. and only capable of propaganda, um, and that that nothing they say is authentic or true. Um, and so I think if you look at the relationship with our counterpart, you know, um, in, in those terms, it's very difficult to believe anything they say, right? And mm-hmm. um, we look, we tend to look at, yeah, we look, tend to look at North Koreans as just through this, that lens of ethical superiority. We also tend to, I think, see our own side with with as as um as humans but we have a very difficult time kind of mobilizing empathy or seeing the other side as with humanity you know that we tend to see ourselves as with humanity but not our our counterpart so um so i think that those are kind of the things that i think that's sort of the the lens that we sort of you know when you go to north korea you kind of struggle with right um or maybe we're not even aware of it but it mm-hmm. became quite evident to me in the making of this film the, those different lenses that um that we we see the world through and um that it's that part of my job as a filmmaker is to try to create an opening where we we might look at this conflict through a, a slightly different lens and just open up a little bit and um, look at look at the conflict differently, and to create an intervention in the way um, the Korean War is narrated, kind of you know in our collective, the collective you know history mm. that is typically sort of the master narrative of of this conflict. Mm. Um, yeah, I the thing you like, you were talking about how like the West that like, we 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 try to. We are we do see ourselves as being better from the people that are considered are like political or ideologically um ideological opposites and in with regards to like north and south korea and the west like the, like the american government or the military even like it would even say the canadian government say oh you know um there's no propaganda like we're just showing it as it is but I, but like throughout the years as i've been learning more and more um i'm like yeah there is definite propaganda <laughs> And even like with just even taking something as like I'm an immigrant. I'm from Barbados. I moved here in 2009. And when I was living in Barbados before I moved here, like Canada was sold uh, like through the media, through like TV shows, film, um, all of these things um, through people that I spoke to. Like I used to work in the tourism industry, like Canadian, a lot of Canadian tourists would come down and granted all of them are white. But, you know, they sell like Canada as this amazing place to live. Like it's all a like, cultural melting plot, a true place of ex- cultural acceptance. Well, everyone can still be who they are. And I moved and I learned that is not the truth. That is far from that is far from the truth. And I learned that lesson very quick. I learned as a black woman, like I still face racism here. I still face anti-blackness here. You know, I still face sexism, misogyny patriarchy here in Canada, in Toronto. I know people from other cultures, from other countries who face racism here because at the end of the day, like Canada is still, is is a colonial settler state and the government is white. You know, the government came out of colonialism. It came out of like the British um, imperialism that and uh, colonization of, 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 of Canada and the native and indigenous people are still very much marginalized on their own land. 
And and this is something I, I even talked to a filmmaker about this because um another film Tahura we talked about how it kind of ties into his film, and like it's propaganda. And then like you like you like talking about the medical like Canada has universal um, universal healthcare, but it kind of operates differently pro- uh, provincially because each province has their own way of doing things. And like I love I I love the fact that I live here because I have a I have a disability, I have MS, and I would not be able to get the treatments that I get here in Canada that, that I, I knew I would not be able to get back home in Barbados. But there, it's not perfect. I face medical racism, you know, I face racism from doctors and nurses. And and then in like, and like people believe that everything is perfect in the West because like we are told it is. But then you look at what happened in North Korea where these women are like, oh, if I'm feeling sick, I just go to the hospital and I can stay there until I give birth. That can't happen here, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That can happen in Canada. That can happen in the U.S. Like here in Canada, you got to get a requisition from your daughter. You got to go through all of these steps to be able to get to see a specialist. You know, like a woman can't go to the hospital and say, I'm in distress and stay however many weeks until she gives birth. Like there's all of these hoops and medical red tape and legal thing that you got to go through. And so even some to a lot of people that may seem simple, but for women, like being pregnant and giving birth is such a dangerous time. And so be to be able to have uh, even that one moment of ass- that one assurance and that one thing is a big deal. Like um, like like the women that were there, they they talked about that. They talked about how, oh wait, you know, are we even really that great if something as simple as pro- providing medical care for a woman during pregnancy and to her baby who needs help and free of cost and like she's not judged for it. Like you're you're like thinking even if in this one instance, like what really makes us better than them. And so the film talks about preconceived notions and how, like, how we, if we are, if we want to talk about peace, you can't be advocating for peace and have bias, right? Yeah, yeah, and I love the way that Lima actually in that one scene at the hospital, you know, she couches it as kind of this moral dilemma or this ethical dilemma that she's encountering by being in North Korea. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's very deep, you know, um, what she's mentioning. And, you know, I think that, um, the questions she raises and this dilemma that she's struggling with at the time, the way she expresses it is, is profound. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a beautiful scene. It's, 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 to me, that's one of the scenes in the film that really stands out to talk about how activism is supposed to work. You know, like you can't say you're an activist for peace. You can't say you're an activist for women. You can't say you want to end war where the people on the other side, you you have prejudice against, you know, where you, if, if you were like, I'm going to come and advocate for your, for you, for you, the North Koreans or to go in any other country. I say, I'm going to advocate for you for, to end war so that we can have world peace. And then say, I'll say, I judge you because like, you are Muslim or you're a Buddhist or you're whatever. I'm like, no, you're advocating for the peace of this person's body. To be an advocate doesn't mean that you get to judge who they, like their beliefs. That's between them. That's something personally they have to start out. You're advocating for them to have the right to do this, you know, and the film. And so I want you to so talk a bit about the film, like about this being something that like, you have, like we mentioned it earlier, but this is something that really does come through as the film progresses, where like none of you had the thought of this being something that you had to think about for everyone. It was just, we must cross the border, right. you know, to, to show that the line, this division, uh, this this line of demarcation between North and South at the 30th parallel is arbitrary and it's useless and it should have never been. 
you know, but then you t- it turned out to be something for each woman individually. She was like, oh, wait, I need to, this is something I myself have to start through. Right. That's right. That's right. And then the complexity of, you know, that scene um, and even just their presence in the North and what they're struggling with is, um, is that when you, when you say anything that might be even factual or favorable, not even favorable, but anything, um, you know, the, the tendency is to then be labeled as um, a North Korean apologist or um, pro-North um, or, you know, in the case of um, the South Koreans, uh, South Korea's national security law to actually be punished for either going to North Korea or having books about, you know, North Korea or any statement that you might make, similar to what Christine Ahn experienced by, you know, at the um, at Kim Il-sung's birthplace and kind of the media frenzy around that. So um, it's, it's very complicated um, to not only go there, but then to speak about your experience. Um, and what I have found as a Korean American person, um, because of the existence of the national security law and because of the red baiting that has historically happened, you know, during the cold war in many ways that continues to happen, um, is that I think that we're forced kind of to speak in code, (laughs) some of these things. And, um, to be very cautious about um, what you say, or to even be very cautious if you have been to North Korea, to not really reveal that, and to be cautious about how you, how you, who you reveal that to, if ever. Um, so, just by virtue of making this film, um, you know, I encountered all 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 of those kinds of things that um, the the accusations of the women of as being naive um, and. Um, naive and dupes of, you know, the North Korean regime on the, you know, on one side, and then the whole accusation of, you know, being pro-North or being communists or, um, you know, apologists for the North Korean regime, that is another. So all of those things force us, I think, force force people to, I, I mean, they're designed to really silence um, mm-hmm. people and silence alternative perspectives that might bring a fresh perspective to this issue. Um, and I think it's it's really um, something we should resist um, because we, ne- we need different perspectives and different voices. Um, but because of the historical red baiting and because of the um, national security law, um, you know, these voices exist that, that have the potential to silence alternative perspectives. And I think, um, those are things that we have to really work against. So I, I'm really, I have a lot of respect for all the women who went um, on this delegation. Um, you know, they risked, you know, in, in many ways they risked their safety, but they mm-hmm. also risked their reputations um, by, by going and engaging and even um, promoting engagement and, and dialogue versus war. Um, they put their reputations on the line and, um, continue to do so as the film gets out into the world. And um, and so I have a lot of admiration for them for doing that. Mm, no, I, I have so much respect for these women after seeing this film because we abstractly, like people like me who aren't like, they're really involved and I've never been to South Korea, hope to go one day, um, have this very abstract idea of what South Korea is. 
and what North Korea is. And like we see, like we've been told in the media, in the dramas and the films that South Korea is super progressive. You know, it's this place where women can be anything they want. I mean, especially when people watch these dramas, like they women can like the glass ceiling is 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 slowly cracking, which is true. Like women are becoming um, are reaching higher statuses in society and in um, in their jobs and professionally. But it's still also a very conservative country. It's still uh, is still a very patriarchal country. Let me look, look at who got selected to be their last um, the ladies' president, a man who's openly admitted that he's a bigot and a misogynist but so you see all of these prejudices that are still there and like they're still not the free speech free speech still doesn't fully exist because like you can't say anything positive about North Korea you know like even in um, when you watch films and dramas you can tell when the writers are being very careful about anything that has a reference to North Korea like they like they're very careful to make sure that nothing is explicitly positive setting reference to the country you know so you're still thinking that's not true freedom of speech you know that's still censorship with the media and like in the film you talk about um uh, former president park young hey she what she um went she 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 didn't do it like all they did it in the 70s and 80s and even the 60s where like the dictatorship that existed in um south korea at the time where it was torturing um, this what they would call political dissidents was torturing communists or people that they accused of being communists. But she was locking up journalists. You know, yes. she was suppressing political opposition, like artists, like writers, um, painters, directors, film filmmakers were basically blacklisted. Like there was this, there was like they were blacklisted for years from right from doing art the way they wanted to do art. So like you, you. So the film kind of touches on that and if you're familiar with like South Korean culture and history like you would pick up on where you on where in the film you're highlighting that and then you're saying but how how much different is this to North Korea you mm -hmm. know and then how much different is North America and the West mm -hmm. to North Korea because mm -hmm. like even right now on in social media like we have people we have like people who are like trying to control what people can say on Twitter you know, there, if you if you say something that is what they call they, they, they call people on the left lefties are social justice warriors and, you know, or and like calling us snowflakes and that kind of thing because we're advocating for free speech. We're advocating for people like for gender, um, for, for um, freedom of um, expression, for gender, religion, religion, disabilities, you know, for everyone to be equal. And again, you're asking how much different is this to North Korea, which is considered a backwards country. And so I, I so talk about how the film very subtly highlights the the dichotomy and the hypocrisy of of South Korean politics and and North American politics compared to North Korea because when you look at it there really isn't that much difference you know like like you know they really like 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 the film like they talk about you like in the film they talk about the trauma that these women experience and how it's still kept alive in North Korea and that's how they keep their loyalty to their leader and I'm like uh, North America does the same like. 9-11 happened over 20 years ago and it's still it's still every year memorialized and used as a way to like keep people remember what happened here and draw the attention away from what America did afterwards like killing millions of people in the Middle East. Right. Yeah, I think that um, what you described was felt by the women, <clears throat> especially when they crossed the border into the South at Dorasan Station. Um, I think that... Um, you know, I mean, the women were looking forward to arriving in South Korea and be, to be greeted by the South Korean women because there had so much been so much effort happen on the South. 
um, they didn't realize that communications and the emails that they had been exchanging had been censored. And so there were some communication gaps. Um, but when they arrived in, in the South and went through immigration at Dorasan Station, you know, um, a number of the women were given a piece of paper that was part of, you know, kind of the this continuation of the national security law, which was um, a, a signed statement that they would not, during their time in Korea, in South Korea, um, they, they would not have engage in political speech. Um, and that um, if they did so, certain kinds of political speech, that if they did so, that they would be reported. Um, and that they're expected to sign these pieces of paper. And also, you know, all, all everyone's bags were um, were gone through and anything related to the North were um, were taken away, um, that kind of thing. So um, I think the women expected to arrive in the South and, you know, not have to go through that kind of thing. But I think, to, um, as Lema says in the film, you know, that there was... Um, that that surprised them <laughs> that that they had to go through the, those kinds of um that kind of scrutiny um and um and then all of the media you know the media accusations and media coverage was um you know had a certain slant to their coverage so and it continued on with this sort of ongoing red baiting and um portrayals um but you know i think the the south korean women who were planning the the arrival um i think in many ways they experienced it was it was you know it was really stressful for them because they weren't certain what had happened in the north the communications weren't available and i think there was a lot of anxiety about what might happen in particular what christine on would say and what any of the other women would say so um yeah very tense period <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that um, you describe kind of the South Korean governments and, you know, the history of military dictatorships. <clears throat> and I mean, there was this brief opening with <clears throat> Kim Dae-jung, the Sunshine Policy era, when there was more openings and more engagement um, between South and North Korea. Um, and the summit that took place between mm -hmm. in 2000 between Kim Dae-jung and Kim Jong-il at the time, which, uh, you know, looked like it was very you know, favorable and there's a lot of promise at the time. Um, but then these conservative governments came in, Lee Myung-bak and Park Geun-hye, and there was so much repression that took place, political repression that you just described. So for the South Korean women, you know, as they were planning this, dealing with, you know, um, the blacklisting, you know, of artists, activists, you know, the all the stuff that was going on during the Park Geun-hye era, it was really um, quite tense. And, um yeah, quite tense. <laughs> and now we're, you know, we're back in that kind of same, same, similar mode. Yeah, it's like the world is, we're, we're always just thinking, like, have we learned nothing? <laughs> have we learned nothing? Know, exactly. It's 2022 and we're exactly. still dealing with a lot of the same, I, um, I don't even say a lot of, just the very same obstacles um, that, that we face when we're younger or the people that before us face. And it's the, the same thing, like, the same, and, and it's so interesting to come because I didn't even know this, but there were like female delegates that were in South Korea in, I think it was like 1951, because it was um, 1951 to 1952, yeah. I think it said, that were there to observe the impact of the um, of the war on South Korea because, um, and this and this is something I've been on North Korea, about. on North Korea. Sorry, yeah. North Korea, sorry. And this is something I've been talking about with people. I said like North America, the, the, the US military, almost wiped North Korea off the map 
during the Korean War because they were they. Like, I think I re- I read that per tonnage, the amount of bombs that were dropped on North America were more okay. than the, the the atomic bombs that were dropped on Hir- um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki combined. That's how much um tonnage of 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 artillery that was dropped. Yeah, bombs, not atomic bombs. But yeah, no, I don't mean that they dropped yeah. atomic bombs, but I mean like yeah. the yeah, yeah. explosive impact was combined was more than the t- atomic bombs right. because it was it was. Oh, I see. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Yeah, it was it was devastating, and the yeah. and women went there at that time to document what happened, and then again, it was in 1991 to 93. There was a second female delegation that was talking about that went there, and then and so like it just the film shows that women have always been doing these kind of peace mm-hmm. talks and these and these um symposiums in South Korea to talk about bringing peace to Korea talking about the reunification and it, and in the film shows women have always been at the forefront because like you like someone mentioned like someone asked them why women and in my head I was thinking why not women are women also not <laughs> impacted by war right like right. <laughs> I mean like why not women like the only, so I'm like the men aren't doing it so somebody has to so why not the women if it's not men it's got to be women right ain't it gonna be aliens so <laughs> so talk about like how in your research um how you and Christine and everyone during your research you you found these um these historical events yeah. that were done by other by other women well you know the 1951 um delegation was an international delegation um that went to um, North Korea, as you said, um, in during actually during the war, and it was mm-hmm. after um, President Truman um, had um, you know introduced the idea of using you know using atomic weapons in in North Korea to bring a speedy end to the war, and so and th- there was already a you know huge destruction of of North Korea by that time, and so this international group that. Um, came, you know, came to document what was happening, documented all of, you know, like the numbers of bombs, the buildings that had been um, lost, the lives that had been lost. And um, that footage, I have to say, was discovered by Professor Susie Kim, who's part mm-hmm. of the delegation. And she's a professor at Rutgers. And she actually discovered that footage um, in a Russian archive. Oh. And um, photographs from that delegation had appeared in um in a, in a book by Bruce Cummings and I think a couple of other publications, but I had never seen actual footage of that, but she found the footage and they had, they transferred it to a digital format and it's a beautiful footage actually shot by, shot by Russian soldiers. And um, so, and, and so it was Professor Kim who made that, um, that um, discovery and made that available for, for the film. So I'm deeply indebted to her for that. Um, and then in, as you mentioned in the nineties, you know, there there had been just amazing conversations between North and South Korean women about peace and reconciliation and reunification. Um, and they did actually cross the border both ways. The North Korean women came to the South, South Korean went to the North and numerous times. And um, during these periods of, you know, openings between the two sides. And um, that's a real inspiration. When I, when I heard those stories and heard about, you know, the conversations that they were having, was really eye-opening because they discovered that, um, you know, I mean, obviously I don't know all the conversations, but, mm-hmm. you know, um, they, you know, up, you know, Korea, North and South, you know, they, there's the same language, um, similar culture for, you know, thousands of years. Um, but I think there's recognition that there are differences 
that these 70 years of division, living under a different political and economic um, you know, conditions have created some differences. And the question is, how do they overcome these differences? And how do they understand first what they are, what those differences are? And then how do they, um, you know, work together to, to come to an understanding about those differences? So I, I feel like that the women's leadership was just really important. And I hope that there will be more opportunities like that um, in the coming years. We need, we need things, yeah, happening right now. Yeah. Um, and that's where and the film ends with that um with that note because the film literally the film literally showed that the discussion isn't ending. It's uh, it's beginning again because things were halted because of the pandemic and it just ends with Christine um on the with Christine on the phone just saying, and so let's let's begin. You know, it's like you're and it's showing and it's it's just a reminder that thing when it comes to advocating for peace and being an advocate, the work does not stop. That's right. You know, it has to keep going because the the Korean War is not over. It's just an armistice, and right. for it, it's I don't and it kind of make, it always makes me sad when it, people but it's referred to as a forgotten war because for a lot of people outside of um Korea they don't know the, they don't know the history of the Korean War they don't know the history of of why North and South Korea even came to be that it was like two American soldiers who just arbitrarily said pick the spot. I say this is where we're going to separate this country for forever, but it, like the work doesn't stop because there are Koreans who want reunification. You know, there are North and South Koreans who want their country to be whole again because no country should be divided in the way that it's been divided in. Like the the trauma that still exists both on the on both sides is still very much real. Like it's only been seventy years. That's that's not even a full lifetime. You know, there are people who are still alive who haven't been able to reconnect with their family members that they got separated from within the space of a day, you know? Um, and there was like a book that I read uh, earlier this year. Um, I don't know if you read it. It's called The Evening Hero by um, Marie myung Lee. And it talks about, uh, and it talks about this. It's a, it's a, it's a yeah. fictional book, but it's based on this because she, um, and she's Korean American and like her family. And she went to like North Korea at one point in time for her studies and stuff. And that film, I, that book is such a beautiful book because it just, it talks about how, it talks about, in, one, in, the, in the film, like there's women at the end where these North Korean women talk about their experiences, their trauma, like the, the both the physical and the psychological and emotional trauma. That book kind of like highlights that. But I really just hope more people get to see this film because it's, it's I think it's an important film with regards not only to giving people an insight into what it's like for women in South and North Korea, but just like the effects of war globally, you know, like this is, this is an impact of war globally. This is what activism should be globally. Like this is how women (laughs) should be able to band together globally. And it's just an example of what can be done. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Actually for anyone listening that wants to get involved, you know, I encourage people to um, go to, uh, womencrossdmz.org. Um, and there's multiple ways that um, you can get involved in the Korea peace movement. There's also um, local chapters in various places that you can get involved in. Um, and for additional screenings of the film, go to mufilms.org, mufilms.org. Um, so there's lots of ways um, to, you know, take part in in this movement. The, the film does end with, um, 
you know, Women Cross DMZ, this group of women that started in 2015, but they do build this global movement that includes South Korean partners and women across the globe. And um, it's been really exciting, actually, to follow this um, movement and how it's been building. Um, so I encourage um, anyone who's listening or watching to to get involved. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'll include links in the um, for the podcast. Okay, cool. The awesome. Because Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? Yeah, feel, ask me anything. Okay, what's your favorite K-drama? Oh my gosh, this is uh, our your top, your top, your top one. Okay, the first one that always pops in my head is um, <laughs> Goblin. Goblin? <laughs> Gong Yu. But I just like, I like, the, the, I, like the romance isn't perfect, no. But I just love this. I love that drama because it's just so beautifully filmed. Like the cinematography in that drama is amazing. The fashion... I'm in love with Goblin. It's called Goblin. Goblin. So the full name is um, Goblin, the Lonely and Great God. But a lot of people just call it Goblin for sure. So it starts Gong Yu and Lee Dong Wook. And like, oh, it's so good. And I would say my second favorite drama would be be Encounter. Encounter is from like 2019. Um, Goblin is from like around 2016. So so Goblin Encounter and It's Okay to Not Be Okay. One of the best dramas oh, I've ever seen that talk, talks about mental illness. Beautiful. Makes me cry every time. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. Good to know. Good to know. I've watched a lot of K-drama, but I haven't watched Goblin. So I'm going to put that on my list. You can find it on Vicky. That's like, I write, I review, um, film, I review dramas oh, too. So like, okay. that's, uh, any, right. if you want to email me or ask me any questions. I will. But drama recommendations or films free. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to. I'm going to email you. <laughs> Thanks so much for for um, this conversation. I've really enjoyed talking with you, and I appreciate you know the history that you bring to the film and the multiple perspectives. Um, hey, thank you I, so I, much. I this was great to talk with you. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Let's keep let's keep in touch. For sure. I'll, I'll, you can get my email from um, from Lila. <laughs> okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. Have a good one. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. So everyone, this was another episode of Carolyn Tusk. And today I was joined by filmmaker and documentarian Diane Borchet Lim to talk about her film Crossings, which is a documentary, which I think everyone really, I say this all the time, but it's true. I think every film should be seen. <laughs> um, but this is a, um, a film that I think uh, everyone should see because while it does speak specifically to South and North Korean um, history and, and activism and activism there to end the war. This is something that affects all of us because any potential war or skirmish or conflict that can break up between North and South Korea or North Korea and America will affect the entire globe. This is a global issue. And every and if you can go to the website that I'll link in the description box to f- see the work that I'm um, Deanne and Christine on. And, and the women that she's working with are doing to take part and how you can help people in your area or if you live in, or even if you don't live in South Korea, like what you can do to not only be an activist in this movement, but in other movements as well, take the steps to do it. Um, use your platforms, whatever you have. For me, I try to use my podcast, my YouTube channel and my Twitter as my, as my activism podcast, as my activism platform. And um, I just appreciate everyone that has spoken to me for the films that they've created, for taking the time to speak with me. I appreciate Deanne for taking the time out of her schedule to speak to me about this film. And um, I hope that 
I can't wait to see what she does next. I can see a second film coming out of this because there's so many things that were discussed that I could see be expanded on into um, another set of films. But I, I will be looking forward. I will be looking for the other films that she did before because they sound really interesting as well. And you can find other interviews for um, my Real Asian um, Film Coverage Festival, my Real Asian Festival coverage here on the podcast um, for Karen and Talks and Here's What Happened on ACAST. Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio and other podcast streaming platforms. You can find the video version on my YouTube channel. So you can go to YouTube slash at Carolyn underscore Hines to find all of my interviews in video format, as well as those with the African American Film Critics Association and my other Carolyn Talks um, interviews with other filmmakers in the um, internationally. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, CarrieCNH. 12, that's C-R-I-E-C-N-H-1-2. You can go to my pin tweets. It's usually my most recently published works. Go to my R3 page. So that's authory.com slash Carolyn Hines and see all of my published work linked there as well. And follow and go use the follow the hashtag, hashtag Saturday Night Sci-Fi, where I and my co-hosts get together every Saturday night at 10 p.m. Eastern to leave to leave a live tweet event where we Live tweet films and TV shows in the sci-fi genre from all across the globe. We've been having amazing time the last, this has been doing it for the last four years. It's amazing. And I just have so much fun talking about film in any medium that I can. And until the next episode, everyone, stay safe. <laughs>